Right hand, left hand. Right hand. Just feel it. Perfect. Okay. But she's already told you my name. Um, but I am Diane. And um, I'm going to tell you how I came to be here. Um, I got an email from Heather, and she was, I think she was asking um, for ideas for a Sunday school class. Is that right, Heather? Sunday evening. Sunday evening, and, um, and, and I'd been thinking about uh, contentment. And, um, and so I emailed her back, and I said, I've been thinking about contentment and how important it is. And we talked a little bit, and we agreed it wouldn't work for the first one. And I, and I thought, well, great. Now, I've, I've been obedient to the Lord. I've, I've sort of said I thought that was a great idea and it's not working. So I'm, I'm going to move on and do something else. And she said, but maybe. Maybe it would be good for the second session. And I said, well, it might. And uh, she could get back in touch with me. And um, then she said, maybe even that there might be a women's gathering and maybe I would talk about it. And I said, maybe. And, um, and then finally all that did come to pass. Um, in all seriousness, I, I believe I have a word for you um, that, uh, that that was, that's not something I think about very often. And as I got ready for this um, talk, I, oh gosh, I was making it like a term paper or something like that. And, um, and the Lord spoke to me and he said, Diane, just, you know, stop. Just, um, just give your testimony. And the thing that I like, the way I learn the best, this thing's making me nervous, so... If I move away from it, what will happen? Maybe if I put it down. It is. It is. It's just. I'm tweaking a little bit. Is it working? It is working. But anyway, I like to move around when I talk. So anyway, I thought I would just tell you all some stories. All right. And some of the stories need to be read. And um, and uh, Catherine Marshall is our uh, is the reader for uh, for tonight. So. Um, and then afterwards, if you all have any questions, um, you can ask me if you want, if I have the answer. Anyway, um, I am 68, and for as long as I could remember, I, I just, even as a little kid, I wondered what life was all about. And uh, at various times, you know, the Beatles wondered what life was about. Everybody, what, what, is, what is life all about? And I think life is all about um, contentment, or another way to put that, being okay with who you are and maybe who everybody else is. And, um, and I think that is an honorable thing uh, to strive to be. And <laughs> I'll tell you this funny story. Stan Bird is teach- was teaching the, um, the prodigal son class, and so they asked people to go to that. And so we were there, and I don't know, those of you all that don't know Stan, he's a wonderful person, he's on vestry, and he also was the warden at Lieber Prison. And he was talking, um, in talking about the prodigal son, the older son, younger son, it had to do with people that maybe annoy you. And so he said that um, really no one annoyed him except um, some people at church annoyed him. And he, he found that so strange that people at church annoyed him. And so I thought of people that I was annoyed by. And, and, and the first person that came to mind was my husband. I thought, I am annoyed by him. And then, um, and then the Lord gave me a word, I mean truly, of why I was. And so Stan, we were talking about, well, why do you think that is? And, I, and the word, the sentence, it was a one-liner that the Lord gave me, because he won't do what I want him to do. And you know, I got real clear on uh, employees, I got clear on people who drive on the interstate, and there are some times that you do want people to do what you tell them to do, because it's, uh, it's good manners, it's uh, good citizenship, it's legal, or whatever. So anyway, 
So contentment is um, the state of being happy or satisfied, and that's a good way and a good state to be in. But there are times that we need to be discontent and we need to do something about that, and that is if something is evil or poverty or injustice. But tonight I'm, gonna, um, I'm just going to share some stories with you about how I, um, I go in and out of contentment, okay? So it's not, um, I'm just going to share that with you. Um, I think the first thing, the first thing I'll say is, I think it started with Adam and Eve. If you stop to think about it, um, and I know uh, for different ones, some people believe that literally, but um, in other studies, it is meant to represent something of um, mankind that had everything, and they were just told there's only one thing, just one, that you can't have or you can't do. And, uh, and they did it, and, uh, and they got punished. Anyway, um, Catherine, if you want to read... Um, the first two, there are three stories that she's going to read. Uh, the first one has to do with um, what you do. And the second one will do with what you have. And the third one will be about um, a solution to uh, being content. And then I'm going to tell you a story about everything that's on the table. And this may look like it's going to take forever, but it's not. It's going gonna, it's gonna to all be over in about 12 minutes, and we can do dishes. Okay. So in the first story, I'll tell you, um, I love Catherine Marshall, um, because she loves me. She does. She says to me, she says, where'd you get these stories? I said, you've never heard these stories? She said, no. I said, great, great. So I hope you all have never heard these stories, too. But the stonecutter, I read, um, my daughter-in-law loved English, and um, that was a story she had, and the... Um, the happy man and the shirt, I'd heard that story, and then everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. If you're my age, you heard that story. Okay, or older. Okay, Catherine. I really do love Diane. I'm sure anyone who knows her feels the same way. The happy man's shirt, which is an Italian folktale. Once there was a king named Gipad, he ruled over a very peaceful yet powerful kingdom. His people all loved and adored him. All was perfect in his kingdom. Except for his son, Jonash, the king's son was very unhappy for no known reason. He would always sit in his room staring blankly out the window over the lands, frowning. The king addressed his son, What on earth has upset you, Jonash? What is it that you lack? What is making you so distraught? The young prince only shrugged. Could there be a girl, a certain woman that has caught your eye? Tell me her name and I'll move mountains to have you two married at once. No, it's not a girl. I don't know why. I'm just so unhappy. The king nodded and walked off. If this state of affairs continued, the king feared his son would die of melancholy. Deciding he needed more help, the king issued a decree to have all the top physicians, astrologers, and wise men of the kingdom come to him. When they arrived, the king showed them to his son. After three days, the astrologers had finally come up with a solution. Your Majesty, Janklo, the head astrologer, spoke. We have given the matter close thought. In order to help your son, you must find a happy man, a man that is happy through and through. The king raised an eyebrow at this. I must find a happy man? Yes, and when you find the happy man, you must trade his shirt for your son's shirt. Then all will be well. The king agreed and dismissed them. He called in his ambassador to the throne room and told them to go out and find for him a truly happy man. 
He had notices placed all over the kingdom offering a handsome reward to anyone who could find a truly happy man. The first person to be shown before the king was a priest. Are you happy? The king's question was simple and to the point. Yes, my lord, I am very happy. Well, then, how would you like to be my bishop? At this, the priest perked up. Oh, yes, your majesty, nothing would bring me greater joy. Get thee hence from my palace before I have you imprisoned, yelled the now furious king. You are no happy man, so much as a liar, and only looking to better himself. Out of my castle. The search continued. Not a week went by, but there was news of a neighboring king who was described as a real happy man. He had a lovely wife and many children. He had no enemies, and he too was a, had a peaceful but powerful kingdom. Thinking this was his solution, the king sent his ambassador to inquire after him. It is true that I have all I could ever want, but I fear that I will die soon and lose it all. Every night I lie in bed thinking of what I will lose. With this answer, the ambassador thought it wise not to take the king's shirt. When he was told the news, King Jipad was furious. He had no clue what to do next. His son was going to die sad and depressed. In desperate need of fresh air, the king went off on a hunting trip. In the fields, the king shot at a hare a few meters away. The arrow only only grazed the hare, and it escaped into the woods. Following quickly, the king moved far away from the rest of his party. After a few minutes, he gave up looking for the hare and made to head back, but suddenly stopped. There was a noise coming from his left. As he drew closer, the king realized that it was someone whistling a small tune. Reaching the noise, he saw a dashingly handsome blonde youth lying in the reeds. The lad was on his back, gazing up at the many clouds in the sky. You there, boy. Tell me, how would you like to be appointed to the highest position in the land as the king's personal advisor? Advisor, eh? The youth sat up and scratched his chin. Such a troublesome position. Sorry, I'll have to pass. I'm fine enough as I am. The king beamed at this answer. You're the one. Quickly, on your feet, boy. He grabbed the youth and ran back to the men in his camp. My son is saved. My son is saved. He turned to the young man and gestured warmly. You, boy, may have for me whatever it is you wish, but I need, I need. The youth looked at the king strangely. You need what? My son, the prince, is dying, and only you can save him. Come closer. The king grabbed the youth, smiling his brightest smile, and quickly began to unbutton the youth's jacket, then suddenly stopped. His arms drooped to his sides. The happy man wore no shirt. So that story is, um, that is, the moral of that story, of course, is that it's not about, um, it's not about things that make you happy. Okay. I'm do the next one. This one's called The Stonecutter. My husband's a sculptor, so I, this one has special resonance for me. The Stonecutter. Once upon a time, there lived a stonecutter who went every day to a great rock in the side of a big mountain and cut out slabs for gravestones or for houses. He understood very well the kinds of stones wanted for the different purposes, and as he was a careful workman, he had plenty of customers. For a long time, he was quite happy and contented, 
and asked for nothing better than what he had. Now in the mountain dwelt a spirit which now and then appeared to men and helped them in many ways to become rich and prosperous. The stonecutter, however, had never seen this spirit and only shook his head with an unbelieving air when anyone spoke of it. But a time was coming when he learned to change his opinion. One day the stonecutter carried a gravestone to the house of a rich man and saw there all sorts of beautiful things of which he had never even dreamed. Suddenly his daily work seemed to grow harder and heavier, and he said to himself, Oh, if only I were a rich man and could sleep in a bed with silken curtains and golden tassels, how happy I should be. And a voice answered him, Your wish is heard. A rich man you shall be. At the sound of the voice, the stonecutter looked around, but could see nobody. He thought it was all his fancy, and picked up his tools and went home, for he did not feel inclined to do any more work that day. But when he reached the little house where he lived, he stood still with amazement, for instead of his wooden hut was a stately palace filled with splendid furniture, and most splendid of all was the bed, in every respect like the one he had envied. He was nearly beside himself with joy, and in his new life the old one was soon forgotten. It was now the beginning of summer, and each day the sun blazed more fiercely. One morning the heat was so great the stonecutter could scarcely breathe, and he determined he would stop at home till the evening. He was rather dull, for he had never learned how to amuse himself, and was peeping through the closed blinds to see what was going on in the street, when a little carriage passed by, drawn by servants dressed in blue and silver. In the carriage sat a prince, and over his head a golden umbrella was held to protect him from the sun's rays. Oh, if I were only a prince, said the stonecutter to himself, as the carriage vanished around the corner. Oh, if I were only a prince and could go in such a carriage and have a golden umbrella held over me, how happy I should be. And a prince he was. Before his carriage rode one company of men and another behind it. Servants dressed in scarlet and gold bore him along. The coveted umbrella was held over his head. Everything his heart desired was his, but yet it was not enough. He looked around still for something to wish for, and when he saw that in spite of the water he poured on the grass, the rays of the sun scorched it, and that in spite of the umbrella held over his head each day, his face grew browner and browner, he cried in his anger, The sun is mightier than I. Oh, if I were only the sun. And the mountain spirit answered, Your wish is heard. The sun you shall be. And the sun he was, and felt himself proud in his power. He shot his beams above and below, on earth and in heaven. He burned up the grass in the fields and scorched the faces of princes as well as of poorer folk. But in a short time he began to grow tired of his might, for there seemed nothing left for him to do. Discontent once more filled his soul. When a cloud covered his face and hid the earth from him, he cried in his anger, Does the cloud hold captive my rays, and is it mightier than I? Oh, that I were a cloud and mightier than any. And the mountain spirit answered, Your wish is heard, a cloud you shall be. And a cloud he was, and lay between the sun and the earth. He caught the sun's beams and held them, and to his joy the earth grew green again and flowers blossomed. But that was not enough for him. 
And for days and weeks he poured forth rain till the rivers overflowed their banks and the crops of rice stood in water. Towns and villages were destroyed by the power of the rain. Only the great rock on the mountainside remained unmoved. The cloud was amazed at the sight and cried in wonder, Is the rock then mightier than I? Oh, if I were only the rock! And the mountain spirit answered, Your wish is heard. The rock you shall be. And the rock he was and gloried in his power. Proudly he stood, and neither the heat of the sun nor the force of the rain could move him. This is better than all, he said to himself. But one day he heard a strange noise at his feet, and when he looked down to see what it could be, he saw a stone cutter driving tools into his surface. Even while he looked, a trembling feeling ran all through him, and a great block broke off and fell upon the ground. Then he cried in his wrath, Is a mere child of earth mightier than a rock? Oh, if I were only a man. And the mountain spirit answered, Your wish is heard. A man once more you shall be. And a man he was, and in the sweat of his brow he toiled again at his trade of stone cutting. His bed was hard and his food scanty, but he had learned to be satisfied with it and did not long to be something or somebody else. And as he never asked for things he did not have, or desired to be greater and mightier than other people. He was happy at last, and never again heard the voice of the mountain spirit. That's great. Um, thank you. Um, and then I'll tell you in the other one. Um, and you just eight plus on the reading. That was great. Um, so to reflect on those with you a little bit, the first one is... Um, uh, you, you can be happy with nothing. You can be gra- uh, grateful. And the second one, um, to be satisfied, sometimes you have to go full circle to be satisfied with who, who you are. Um, I want to tell you a story that Sue Beeson told me. And Sue Beeson, for those of you all um, that remember her, she and her husband Gary were here at this church, and they're now our, uh, he's a seminarian that uh, the church has sent off and is supporting, and hopefully they might come back to St. Paul someday. But she did the CLC, wasn't she the director of that? Um, and during that time, they were teaching the children about missions. And so to help them understand about missions, she told me that they, uh, they were, all the children were asked to bring in a milk jug, an empty milk jug, and they went to a spigot, the furthest one on the church property, and they were to fill it up and bring it back. And so that, the lesson for that was um, uh, toting water. And I thought about that. I mean, it made such a picture in my mind. And so I thought that was a story I would tell you And after I decided to tell you in the post, um, it talked about water missions and what it does, and it says the average distance that women in developing countries walk each day to collect water is four miles, and the uh, weight that they can carry on their heads is 44 pounds. This, um, this milk jug with water in it weighs six pounds, and so, you know, when I'm through talking, I would love for you to pick this up. Anyway... After Sue Beeson told me that story, I never took water for granted again. I did not. It it was such a picture in my mind. Another story. This is not the twist tie, but I have a twist tie above. um, It hangs on a little nail on on a window, whatever that thing is called on to the left of it. Laura probably knows what that's called. The sill's the bottom part, but I don't know what the side pieces are. 
Mutton, she says. Uh huh. Trim pieces. Anyway, there is a, um, a twist tie. Um, this church, St. Paul, sponsored a group where we went out um, from here to do hurricane relief work after Katrina, and we went to Long Beach, Mississippi. And we all slept in a gym. There were a hundred of us there and uh, on the floor and, and ate there. And um, every day you volunteered, or if you didn't volunteer, they gave you a job to do based on what they needed. And they had four tents. They had a, med- a tent for medicine, one for food, one for... Um, well, I can't remember all of it now. But anyway, they had what they called the Katrina Boutique. And... Um, and whoever we went with, they said, Diane, that's what you do. You're in retail. So I got assigned the Katrina Boutique. And part of it, believe it or not, I mean, it was wonderful to see the generosity, but all the, all the food would, uh, not food, all the clothing would come in, in package, brand new, and you'd break open the packages because people couldn't have everything that was in one package. And so with all the, and it was windy under those tents, so there was all this trash anyway. Everything was trashed down there, blowing around. And I had a garbage bag, but it wouldn't stay put. And so you're moving fast trying to do all this stuff and put it out. And I thought, if I could just hang this up somewhere, and I started looking around, it was anything, a rope, a paper clip, there was nothing. And I found a twist tie. I found a twist tie. And I, and I tied up that garbage bag. And that lesson that day for me was that I just needed the simplest thing to make my job work. And that's all it took for me to be contented. And I, and I came home with the twist tie, and I put it up above my sink as a reminder that that was all I needed. Um... I want to tell you that for me, um, personally, well, I'll back up. When I was a teenager, um, I used to get Seventeen magazine before it was full of things that it's full of now. I can't believe what it's full of. But I would always look at those models in there, and their noses were perfect, and mine had pores. And I was just sure that, uh, that there was something I could do to, to make my nose perfect. Um, and then... And then, of course, there are pimples, and then there's your, your weight and your hair, and then there's the perfect boy and the, the perfect whatever, and then there's perfect children, or maybe there are no children and you want children, and then maybe there's grandchildren and there are no grandchildren. And so um, my whole life has been um, uh, making peace, maybe, with what I didn't have. And then another part of that, sometimes you're asked to give up Isaac, and, uh, and God takes Isaac. You don't get Isaac back, but sometimes you get Isaac back. But anyway, my next story concerns money. We went to Israel um, two years ago, and um, part of that was um, people enjoyed shopping. I've never, ever enjoyed shopping. Um, but um, we went into one of these, and I love the markets. It was great. Anyway, they, they would see these Americans coming, and they just had dollar signs written all over them. So you got this wonderful attention. And so we went in this one place, and they, um, oh, madam, you know, only the finest. And they brought out, it was really beautiful. It was this beautiful bracelet. This beautiful bracelet. Oh, you deserve this bracelet. It's like $800. But you know what? When someone tells you you need something that's beautiful and everything, I thought, I need that bracelet. By golly day, my life will change if I have that bracelet. And then, um, and then I thought, get a hold of yourself, girl. Um, and so, but what I had seen, they had Bedouins, honest to goodness Bedouins that you read about in the Bible. They were there, sheep and goats, all the whole thing. It was real. But there was a Bedouin booth, and they had a bracelet there. It's five bucks. Looks like it's made from a hubcap. I think it is, and I bought it. I love this bracelet. And you know what? Um, it does it for me. And when I um, and I don't feel deprived when I do things like that. But instead, when this church says we need money for Haiti, we need money for the Lamb Institute, I don't have a lot of money. But I also learned how to not have bills, and so I would rather I would rather give that to St. Paul's.
Um, I got another story. It was uh, 9-11, and uh, I didn't have a TV then, and I'd listened to that on the radio, and then I heard the second, uh, when the second plane hit, and I thought, this is it. This is the end of the world. And I thought, um, huh, I gave up smoking a long time ago and drinking. And I thought, I knew right where the liquor store was. I was going to get a pack of cigarettes. And then, um, and then I thought, no, I, I didn't want to do that anymore. And I thought, well, I, there was a quilt I was working on. And I thought, if this is it, this is it. And then gardening, I thought, well, I'll pull some weeds. And I don't know if you've ever been to that point where it's not going to be anymore. And life gets real in a hurry. There was, I just sat on the steps. I'd made my amends to everybody, but um, my slate was clean. I was in a good place. But at one time, I'd given St. Paul's a lot of money from something. And, you know, I need to tell you that um, I thought maybe I'd made a mistake. I thought maybe that was a dumb thing to do. But all I could think of when I thought it was the end, I thought, I sure am glad when I meet God. It's not in my bank account. It's, it's, it went for door hall or something. So, um, so, so you can have contentment sort of after the fact. Another thing I want to tell you about is that um, I have four children. The oldest one is 48, and the youngest is 31. So I should have had grandchildren a long time ago, by my reckoning. I should, I mean, I should have great-grandchildren. And I, I had this terrible resentment, I really did, that um, other people had grandchildren there. Honest to Pete, I hated to go places, and they'd say, oh, let me show you something. I knew what they were pulling out, and I didn't want to see it. You know, they had, they had albums. they do that to you in the Piggly Wiggly. It didn't matter where you were. So, so, um... So God said to me, Diane, quit whining. Just go get some grandchildren. I said, well, I think I will. So, um, so I, I got yours and the hunters one time. And, um, you know, I, I don't like places like Disney World. They make me nervous and all that money and pretend. Ugh. And so um, I like treasure hunts. And so this is better than a trip. To, this is better than any swing set you can get for anybody. I, have it, I still have that box. And I bought a box, and you can go to Lowe's, and you can get river rocks. And you can spray paint them gold. It takes about three days, so that you, you, want, you want it completely covered. So they're, they're little, they're nuggets, and they're in that box. And Heather's boys came over once, too. And they're clues. I tell them a story. I say, it's pretend. And Miss Diane, this is all pretend. They say, it's pretend. Got it. And so depending on their age, I do two to, um, I do teenager. I do, adults have asked for this. So they're clues. They go all over. And then there's a map. I would love it. So there's a map. And by the time, and they need shovels. And by the time they go dig that thing up, they hit that box. I'm telling you, it's real gold, and you can't tell them it's not. And, and the first thing they all say after they dig it up, they say, can we do it again? Um, they do. They say, can we do it again? Um, so I just want to tell you about that. Another thing, um, here are these four kids. And then Marvin has children. And... Um, and if you waited for all of them to get happy, get their teeth straight, graduate from college, get a job, be responsible, not drink and drive, um, not do drugs, um, uh, you know, you'll be waiting forever. So there was just a time where I truly, um, and some of um, Mary Glaze, I've got some sad stories, which I'm not going to tell, but you can have a good, bad day. You can have a good, bad day. And there were times with my children where I just thought, um, I just thought, uh, I thought they were going to uh, be killed. 
And I thought, well, then I, I will know where they are, and there will be peace. And uh, it can be it can be a heartbreaker. But I know I have a lot of friends who uh, they, they will not get on with their lives until their children are perfect, their husbands have retired, everybody likes spinach, their teeth are straight, and it's not going to happen. Um, you're going to wait a long time, and so today's the day. Um, oh, here's another story. I don't know how many of you all know Linda Shelbourne. She's wonderful. Um, once a year, we did it for three years, but, um, we had a Habitat cottage tour. And it was on the west side of town. And as you might imagine, uh, for a cottage tour, you want sunshine. You don't want any mosquitoes. You want it just to be perfect. So the last one, I sat in church on a Sunday. Um, it was in May. It's always on Mother's Day. It was sunny when I left for church. And I sat there where my seat is. I look at the clouds where everybody sits in door hall looks at clouds. And I thought, it is cloud nut. I said, oh, please, Lord, don't let it rain. And, and, and then it started sprinkling on the way home. And I prayed, I prayed, boy, did I pray. And then um, Linda Shelbourne's house was always the starting point and the hostess, and we had a refreshments there. And by the time we all got there, I mean, it was, it was seriously raining, and this was rain or shine. So I said, Linda, I said, and she's on her back porch. If you've ever been out back there, it's, it's uh, 15, I mean, it's like the stairway to heaven up there. So I said, Linda, I said, how about a prayer to bind this rain? And she said this to me. She said, oh, Diane, I never pray about the weather. I said, what do you mean you don't pray about the weather? I want this clear. I want sunshine. I said, what do you pray for? And she said, I just pray for, for all the glory to be God's. I thought about that for a minute. I said, that'll do. Pray. So she did. And you know, um, it did. It poured down rain that day. And people said they never had such a good time. It was just such a good feeling that day. And so that was a lesson for me, too. You just don't always need sunny skies. In my house, you know how they always say, in case of fire, you put this file cabinet, and it's got all your USAA insurance policies, and it's got your checkbook and all that stuff. Nuts to that. I don't, I'm not getting any of that. My favorite, favorite thing is a little book I made, and I promise you this is my favorite thing in the whole house. It's called Creation. You can look at it. Um, if there were a fire, I'd grab Marvin and the dog and uh, my book, and, and I would leave. There was a time I would have burnt up in the fire. There would have been so many things I wanted to take out. But, um, but over, the years, um, over the years, things have gotten really simple and the things that are really important. Um, today, I was sitting on my back porch um, working on something. I heard this rustling, and I thought it was a squirrel because I had the dog tied out and those squirrels. That they're just, they do all kinds of things when the dog won't get them. And I looked at you all, and you know what was in my yard? A turtle. A turtle. I got so excited. Marvin did not share my excitement when I called him. I said, are you dressed? He said, no. I said, doesn't matter. Come see what's in the yard. Um, it's a turtle. Um, I'm going to, um, at one time, it was probably 10 years ago, Robert Fulgham, um, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. I'm going to get Catherine to read that story. And this is his solution of how you live and get contentment. And then, um, then I'm going to close after that with um, how I live and get contentment. It's different from what he says. But this is a lovely, sweet story. And um, I'm not making fun of it. I, I think it's beautiful. Each spring, for many years, I have set myself the task of writing a personal statement of belief, a credo. When I was younger, the statement ran for many pages, trying to cover every base with no loose ends, 
It sounded like a Supreme Court brief, as if words could resolve all conflicts about the meaning of existence. The credo has grown shorter in recent years, sometimes cynical, sometimes comical, sometimes bland, but I keep working at it. Recently, I set out to get the statement of personal belief down to one page in simple terms, fully understanding the naive idealism that implied. The inspiration for brevity came to me at a gasoline station. I managed to fill an old car's tank with super deluxe high-octane go-juice. My old hoopie couldn't handle it and got the willies, kept sputtering out at intersections and belching going downhill. I understood. My mind and my spirit get like that from time to time. Too much high-content information, and I get the existential willies. Keep sputtering out at intersections where life choices must be made, and either know too much or not enough. The examined life is no picnic. I realized then that I already know most of what's necessary to live a meaningful life, that it isn't all that complicated. I know it and have known it for a long, long time. Living it, well, that's another matter, yes? Here's my credo. All I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. (coughs) Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Blush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup. The roots go down and the plant goes up, and nobody really knows how or why, but we are all like that goldfish and hamsters and white mice, and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die. So do we. And then remember the Dick and Jane books and the first word you learned, the biggest word of all. Look. Everything you need to know is in there somewhere. The golden rule and love and basic sanitation ecology and politics and equality and sane living. Take any one of those items and extrapolate it into sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family life or your work or your government or your world, and it holds true and clear and firm. Think what a better world it would be if we all, the whole world, had cookies and milk about 3 o'clock every afternoon and then lay down with our blankies for a nap. Or if all governments had as a basic policy to always put things back where they found them and to clean up their own mess. And it is still true, no matter how old you are, when you go out into the world, it is best to hold hands and stick together. I do like that. I still like that and hearing it read. It's, it's sweet. Um, 
how I live now and how I find out uh, how to do that is I do make it a point every morning to um, I read the Bible and I have a couple of meditations that I read. I mean, I, wouldn't, I would no more dream of leaving the house uh, without doing that than I would without putting my clothes on. And Mike Lumpkin uh, oftentimes talks about this Bible, The Message, by Eugene Peterson. I love this Bible. It is in language that I can understand. I love the other Bible, the, the way that's written in those words when you're going to quote it, but, um, and the study Bible, but uh, I, I just the importance of this. And then finally, when all is said and done and and things are not good and they can uh, not be good often, it helps to know that God is who he says he is and he does what he says he's going to do. And the way that I get that reminder is, um, it's in North Carolina once, and somebody... um, I've heard I've heard something called a God can when you are when you are really at the end of your rope and nothing is working and you're willing to surrender it and give it up and not try anymore you put it in a can and it has God's name on it so it's called a God can but anyway I saw these miracle jars and I thought well I love those miracle jars I mean I love one I'm gonna get it and one time one of my children um, got a little thing of oil in here um, anointing oil but um, said to me, Mom, what's in there? And I, and I told him. And, and so, anyway, it's just chock full of stuff. And I dumped them out. I opened uh, a couple of them, and I read them. And every single thing here has, um, has, is, is completed, done, taken care of. Um, and so, no matter how big and awful something seems, it, um, in time, it, it, is, it is solved. This is a, another one of the books that I read. It's called My Utmost or His Highest. But I, I write in here all the time if something happens. I'll, I will write in here that I saw a turtle this morning um, for that day. But um, in just a couple of days here, written in this book, um, I had an employee that um, I had to fire. And then uh, if you're legal in business, there are workman's comp and all that stuff. And uh, go to... Um, not workman's comp, the unemployment uh, commission. Um, and uh, I elected to fight that and go to court. And uh, it was horrible. It was just horrible. She hired a lawyer, and I had my debate experience from junior high school. But anyway, um, and the Holy Spirit. I had the Holy Spirit. And that was two years ago. And so, um, two, so two years have passed, and I'm there, and she's not. And she's not getting unemployment anymore. Um, and so, um, and so that does give me peace. And, um, and then I think the last thing we're going to do, this morning's reading in, um, what is that, Forward Day by Day, um, uh, deals exactly with what this talk is going to be about. And so I'm going to let um, Catherine, if you don't mind reading that, and we're going to close with that. And I'm going to thank you ahead of time for um, allowing me to come and speak tonight. And um, as I said, when I just worried about this and I wanted to have little quotes for you all from the Bible, and then I, I actually thought maybe I'd hand out sheets in case you wanted to take notes or have these references, you know. <laughs> Get over yourself, Diane. I thought it's not about you. It's about the Lord, and I felt called to share this with you. And, um, and that's it. All right. And I'm going to thank Catherine ahead of time for her lovely reading. She does such a good job. Okay. All right. So in closing... This is from uh, Forward Day by Day. It's the reading for today. And the psalm is Psalm 37, verses 1 through 18. Put your trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on its riches. Take delight in the Lord and he shall give you your heart's desire. 
There are two threads that run throughout scripture. They are truly, they are closely interwoven and inseparable, like two sides of the same coin. In one of these threads, we are taught that if we love God and live according to God's commandments, then our faithfulness will be rewarded and our enemies vanquished. The other thread acknowledges that this is not always the case. Isaiah, Job, Elijah, Jesus, Peter, and Paul all recognize that betrayal, suffering, and grief exist. They experienced it themselves. So which vision is true? Do we trust in the Lord and know all will be well? Or do we trust in the Lord and know that bad things happen to good people anyway? Both, I think. We have a God who laughs when we laugh and weeps with us when we weep. The point is that God is with us in our trials. God doesn't remove obstacles from our path. Instead, we are given the strength and courage to walk our path regardless of where it leads. God is with us even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death.